0: Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You. Israel and You is the radio ministry of Israel Team Advocates International. We're turning the tide of the growing anti-israel theology on evangelical college campuses and i personally am a zionist what is that the belief that god of israel is regathering the jewish people from the four corners of the earth and bringing them back to their own land and there is a rising tide of evangelical anti-Zionism that believes the regathering of the Jewish people back to the land of Israel in the beginning of the 1800s is a political racist movement. Former President Jimmy Carter, an evangelical Christian, has likened the modern state of Israel to the former apartheid South Africa. The evangelical anti-Zionists teach replacement theology, which believes that God has rejected the Jewish people. All the promises designed and designated for the Jews now belong to the Gentile church. The Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants has been nullified and rejected. The land of Israel does not belong to the Jewish people. And so this is what "'Replacement Theology Believes and Teaches. "'One Evangelical Anti-Zionist, "'one of the founders of Christ the Checkpoint, "'an annual anti-Israel conference "'supported by Evangelical megachurch pastors "'and Evangelical college professors, states, "'Any Evangelical that believes "'the regathering of the Jews back to the Holy Land, "'they have repudiated Jesus, "'they have repudiated the Bible, "'and they are an abomination.'" Dr. Gary Burge, professor of New Testament at a major evangelical Christian college, states in his book, Whose Land, Whose Promise? Branches that attempt living in the land of Israel, the vineyard that refuse to be attached to Jesus, will be cast out and burned. So this evangelical New Testament professor believes that uh, Israelis who do not convert to Jesus are good for nothing, and they should be cast into the fires and burned. This is a inflammatory hate speech and anti-Semitic. Anti-Zionism denies the Jews the right to exist collectively. Anti-Semitism is the denial of the Jews to exist at all. So in my view, because Jews the world over have been historically connected to the land of Israel for over 3,000 years, to be anti-Zionist to me is to be anti-Semitic. Semitic. antisemitism is the world's oldest hatred. It's because I believe that through the Jews, the God-given moral law came into the world. The Jews have never been forgiven. And before the Holocaust, Jews were hated because they were poor and because they were rich. They were hated because they were communists and because they were capitalists. They were hated Uh, because they kept to themselves and because they infiltrated everywhere. In the Middle Ages, Jews were persecuted because of their religion. In the 19th and 20th centuries, they were reviled because of their race. Today, Jews are attacked and hated because of their nation state, Israel. Denying Jews the right of self-determination, in their own land is the new antisemitism. For centuries, anti-Semites have justified their hatred of the Jews. In the Middle Ages, it was religion. During the Holocaust, it was science and the study of race. Jews were seen as not even a part of the human race, and so they were exterminated by uh, the Germans. Today, it's human rights, and whenever you hear people proclaim that Jews are not supporting human rights, you are hearing the new anti-Semitism, from the river to the sea, they proclaim Palestine must be free. And what they're saying is Palestine must be free of all Jews. They must be put to death and exterminated once again. The International Criminal Court has brought 85% of the human rights violations against the tiny state. Of Israel, and you'd think they would go to countries like North Korea or China, or Syria. But 85 percent of all human rights violations coming from the International Criminal Court at The Hague are against the tiny state of Israel. Israel's portrayed uh, as an apartheid state today across the world. And there's a growing anger and violence on evangelical college campuses. The social justice movement is proclaiming that there's justice needed for everyone. Except the Jews. And if this goes unchallenged, evangelicalism will be anti Israel within 10 short years. Anti Semitism affects all of us, Jews and non Jews, because anti Semitism inspires all other kinds of hatred. Evangelicalism during the Nazi reign of terror was silent, very few spoke up. So we cannot be silent again. Israel team is in this fight for the heart and the soul of young evangelical millennials that are turning against Israel in record numbers. And Israel team is publishing a new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What Can Be Done to Stop It. It'll be coming out the first part of uh, January, uh, just a few weeks from now. One of the authors is Jay Sekulow. Uh, the chief counsel at the American Center for Law and Justice wrote a chapter about defending Israel uh, at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Uh, There's several millennial evangelicals that have written chapters. And one of uh, the authors is Olga uh, Miche Washington, a lawyer from South Africa. And her chapter is entitled, I lived under the oppression of apartheid in South Africa and Israel is not an apartheid state. And Olga is our very very special guest today. Uh she is an accomplished MBA, a lawyer, a speaker and writer. Olga's unique narrative of South African and African relations with Israel, the Christian mandate to stand with Israel, and her engaging delivery have contributed to Olga being a regular on the speaker circuit in Africa and the United States. A South African native, Olga is the chief executive officer of Defend, Embrace, Invest, Support Israel International. Olga's courageous support of the Jewish people led the times of Israel to name her Israel's warrior, uh, Parable Magazine named Olga as one of South Africa's 2011 influential young Christian leaders. And in 2016, she received the 2016 Jerusalem Award from the World Zionist Organization in recognition of advocacy for the state of Israel and South African Jewish community. So, Olga, welcome to Israel and you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you and everybody listening.
0: And you're a mom, you have a, a beautiful little uh, son, and, and you have one on the way, you're married to Joshua, and uh, both of you are, are committed uh, to standing with Israel in these times when we're seeing within evangelicalism, the Christian community, people turning against Israel. And in your chapter in your book, uh, you talk about the apartheid lie. Uh, Israel is accused of being a racist apartheid state, yet you say this is not true. So can you first explain what apartheid is and then tell us of your experience growing up in apartheid South Africa and then why, in your opinion, Israel is not an apartheid state?
1: With pleasure. And I think right at the beginning, Erin, what I do need to say, and you also articulated it in your introduction, is that we're actually in a fight for truth. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the weapons that the enemy uses and one of the weapons that we're seeing more and more today, even within the church, is how terms have been misused, how their definitions no longer are true to what it is. And so we use buzzwords and people grasp onto these buzzwords, having no understanding as to what they actually mean. And unfortunately, one of the buzzwords that has been weaponized in this regard is apartheid. So people oftentimes just think of apartheid being racism or they think of apartheid being um, a distinction between classes and peoples, and that's not what it is. So in South Africa, from the period of 1948 all the way through to 1994, there was a systematic, entrenched um, system of laws, over 150 codified laws that segregated and discriminated non-white South African citizens from white South African citizens. Put very simply, Aaron, if you were non-white, You could not do the most simple and basic things from riding the same transportation system as a white person. You could not go to the same public school. Um, You could not go and be treated in the same hospital wards. My father, who is now a member of parliament, of the South African parliament, and he's been there for over 20 years, he could not be a member of parliament. Black people were disenfranchised. Now remember, black citizens of South Africa were disenfranchised. We did not have the right to vote. We could only live in certain areas of the country. Imagine having your homeland or rather your, um, your, your ancestors, your grandparents have worked very hard to take care of a particular part of um, land in the country. And then by law, country, the, the government decides, actually, you know, what? we don't want you guys living here because we want to urbanize this. We think it's a good place for white people to live in. We're going to upend you um, and we're going to put you in a particular place where you all as black people need to live. And then also, if you want to travel from one part of the country to the other, you actually have to get written permission by government in order to freely move. So our movement as black people was restricted. And the foundation for this, if you look at South Africa's laws, was purely because from a skin perspective, from the color of what we looked like, from what our hair looked like, um, we were seen to be morally inferior. In my words, black people hadn't yet reached full development. I don't, I don't know whether they were thinking that maybe God was in a hurry and he just didn't like finish putting us together, but we were morally inferior. And so for that reason, we could only accomplish certain things in life. And those things that we were able to accomplish, and so the education system was deliberately deliberately then um, put in place so that we could only do these things, and that was to be laborers. That was to be servants. How dare a black person dream of becoming a doctor or a lawyer or actually accomplishing something like that? And so we even had an inferior education system. Now, when I think of that and look at that and, and experience that, I mean, I can tell you stories and maybe I'll share one or two, I'm growing up in apartheid South Africa and one looks at Israel. I've been to Israel over five times. Now, from the onset, let me say this, and it actually is ridiculous that we have to say it, but let's say it, that Israel is not perfect, but show me any country in the world that is perfect. Israel has got racist pockets, but the racism is going to exist wherever you have people because that's part of the fallen nature of man in terms of how we treat each other. Now, if you look at Israel and you look at her laws, There is no law that says because you are Arab or because you are Jewish, you cannot go to this particular hospital or you cannot vote. I mean, we see that there are Arab representatives in the Knesset. Um, When I took young people on a tour to Israel a couple of years ago, one of the things that astounded them was just as we had landed at Ben Gurion and we got into a bus, our tour guide was a Jew. And our Arab and our driver was an Arab, and they were like, "Hold up, wait! This would have never been possible in South Africa." And so, when we see how um, Jews of all different colors, and then also people of various ethnicities, as well as different religions who may not be Jews, actually living together in Israel, not being discriminated, receiving the same standard of education—I mean, even Hamas leaders are able to attain degrees in education at Israeli um, institutions, Israeli educational institutions. That wasn't available to us. We had to organize our own education systems. So it's a lie. So people need to first of all know what apartheid is, and I've summarized what it is. Um, It's a lie, and and it's actually an insult. It trivializes what we as South Africans went through. There would have not been a need for a struggle. We would have not needed to have the African National Congress in its liberation movement as we had it. People would not have known Nelson Mandela as the person that he was today. Because what were we then going to be liberated from if we were able to live with each other, just like Jews and Arabs um, and people of different colors and ethnicities are able to do in Israel today?
0: Yeah, and I I visited... South Africa during apartheid, I was uh, invited to speak at a church that you and I are both familiar with, uh, Durban Christian Center in Durban, and that church was very instrumental in opening its doors to all people, and the pastor was thrown in jail several times, and I, I was invited to speak at that church, and and it was terrible. I mean, just the segregation of people and, and the pushing away of uh, black South Africans out of the white areas... But as you say, in Israel, there, there's total freedom. I mean, it's a country that uh, there's a million Arabs that live within the borders of Israel and that have the rights to vote, that have, you know, all the rights that Jews have. And so I mean, 25
1: percent, sorry to interrupt you, 25 percent of the Israeli population are Arabs.
0: Exactly. So we're going to catch this on the, on the other side after the break. But if if you would like to help us, Israel Team Advocates, you can go to our website, IsraelTeam.org. And uh, if you'd like to receive this book that Olga uh, wrote a chapter, it's called The The, uh, Casualty of Contempt. It'll be coming out in just a few weeks. Go to our website, and for a donation this month and helping us to reach our goal, uh, we'll uh, send you this book as soon as it comes out, about the first week of January. We'll catch you on the other side. Hey, this is Aaron Free, and we've got a matching challenge this month, the month of December, and you can double your giving to help Israel team in our mission to turn the tide of the rising, alarming decline of uh, support for Israel on Evangelical College campuses. You're giving dollar for dollar up to $28,000 a foundation has invested uh, in our mission, and if you give a gift of $100 this month, we'll send you an autographed copy of our new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What Can Be Done to Stop It. It's a critically important book. 16 world-renowned authors from the world of sports, law, academia, Israel advocacy, both Jews and Gentile authors in this book, All Defenders of the Jewish People, Uh, Some of the authors include Stuart Roth, who's on the program with us today from the American Center for Law and Justice, Jay Sekulow, Chief Counsel of the American Center for Law and Justice, Coach Bruce Pearl, Coach of Men's Basketball at Auburn University, Coach Dale Brown, uh, Shaquille O'Neal's coach at LSU, Dr. Marlene Yahalom from Yad Vashem, and this month, if you'll go to IsraelTeam.org and go to the Donate section. And for a gift of $100 or more, this foundation will match your giving dollar for dollar. And you can go to Israelteam.org to the donate section. And uh, you can help us in our mission to turn the tide of this rising anti-Semitism. It's hard to believe, but so many of our evangelical colleges and universities are turning against Israel. So this book uh, addresses this issue. And uh, it'll help uh, your students. You know, if you have students in your household that are wondering their role in God's restoration of Israel, this book will help them in that understanding. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, great to be back with you, and we're here with Olga Mishway, uh, a lawyer from South Africa, now living in the United States, who is a a warrior for the jewish people and israel and uh, in your chapter in our book the casualty of contempt ogle you talk about the league of nations back in 1924 when they set the legal borders for the state of israel and for all the states in in the middle east because there's such an argument today saying that israel is on occupied land they really don't believe uh, belong in uh, the state of israel so you would highly disagree with that and, and tell us from a legal perspective why Israel has a right to the land.
1: So one of the things that's important in our fight for truth is actually to do research and homework and not just to look at what Dr. Google may say or Wikipedia mm-hmm. may say. And as you say, um, one of the things that's a claim against the state of Israel is that it's occupying land and, and that the um, its existence on that piece of land is illegitimate. However, if we go all the way back, even before nineteen twenty four and we look at the ni- we look at nineteen twenty um this was soon after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, and we had after World War one nations come together and um, be like, all right, what are we now going to do that um this empire has fallen and we have now got?" Um, a mandate um, as as the, the countries that have emerged as the victors. And so there was a conference in Italy, it's called the San Remo Conference in 1920, and there they established um, various borders, including the fact that in adopting and looking at the Balfour Declaration, which, which had happened a couple of years ago, that a piece of land in an area that they established looking at historical Archaeological evidence, including people that were um, geography experts, to say, all right, this piece of land has been occupied by the Jewish people for thousands of years. They have a moral as well as cultural claim to this place. Um, We, as at the San Remo Conference, are actually then going to designate this area as a place that the Jewish people can call their home. It can be a country and be their home. And this also happened for various other places, including um, Jordan. and what we know today as Syria, in 1924, the um, successor of the, as at the, well, let me not say the successor. at 1924, the the League of Nations, who um,'s later successor is the United Nations, reinforced this and gave legitimacy to what was adopted at the San Remo Convention. So, let me say again, the San Remo Convention was a valid um, congregation of these. Countries, so there was legality with, with regards to what they said about Israel. This was re-emphasized, reinforced, as well as adopted by the League of Nations in 1924, and then again later in 1947, the United Nations looked at it and was like, "Yes, here is the here are the borders with regards to where Israel um, can establish a state for the Jewish people." And what's interesting, Aaron, is that not only did they then propose um, a a country or the borders for Israel as a state, they did it for the Arabs as well. So with regards to the Arab people there, and I specifically use the term Arabs because the term Palestinians hadn't yet come into the picture. That's, that's another lie that continues to be perpetuated. But nevertheless, so there was um, equal opportunity given to these two people to have uh, a state. The Jew said, okay, we're not... I mean, we would love more because what was proposed by the United Nations was actually um, less land than what was originally um, granted to them or given to them in expectation by the Balfour Declaration and the San Rima Conference. But they were like, fine, we'll take it. And the Arabs were like, nope, no thank you, we don't want it. And so the establishment of Israel, when it was then declared as a, as a um, state in 1948 – was done on the premise of legitimate legal reasoning, as well as if I can use the term authority from um, other nations and from recognized bodies, and then also when um, Israel was adopted into the United Nations in one thousand nine hundred and forty nine it was again formally recognized as this is a state of Israel, and these are the borders with regards to israel so it's very unfortunate that when people speak about there's no legitimacy, that Israel just on its own in a very white imperialistic manner, decided that we are now going to possess this land. That's not what happened at all.
0: It's amazing that you know after World War I that the, the Ottoman Empire basically uh, controlled all of the Middle East. and so in the San Remo treaty, they divided up this this huge swath of land into nation states, Israel being one of them. But what's amazing is all those other nations that were established in the San Remo Treaty back in you know 1920, uh, we don't say of them, you have no right to exist. Only of the Jews that you don't have the right to exist and self-determination within your own land. So, uh, Olga, how... How did you get connected? You know, you're obviously a millennial evangelical and your, your dad is a former pastor, now a parliamentarian in, in the government of South Africa. So how did you, you know, growing up, how did you get connected to a love of Israel?
1: Um very briefly, it's interesting so you correct my dad it not only was he a pastor but he still is a pastor he somehow God has given him the grace to do both the pastoral work as well as be a member of parliament but Aaron i I grew up in a household I was a I call it a closet Zionist in the sense that I had an understanding of the Bible we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem like the book of Psalms tell us I had an understanding that um, Judaism was the, was the foundation of Christianity. And I actually want to touch on something that you said about Christian anti-Semitism in the introduction. But Israel wasn't my problem. My dad, however, had been speaking about Israel and the need to support Israel and the lies that were being perpetuated about Israel. Without wearing the cap of being an ad, uh, of an Israel advocate, he was just like, I need to tell the truth especially if you're going to then start to look at my country's history and use it to galvanize support for an accusation that is totally false. And he was in the United States as well as in Canada in the year 2013 on a speaking tour. He came across the BDS movement and how it was entrenching um, and infiltrating campuses across the United States. He came home. He was passionately angry and he was like there has to be a response from um south africa because they're using the apartheid analogy and we have the moral authority to speak on what is apartheid and what is apartheid not because we lived it we're not just talking theory and we especially as black people need to have a response and i remember at that time very embarrassingly i was like dad you have no time i had no time it's other people's work Anyway, fast forward, as a very wise man did, he ignored his daughter. And because of my legal experiences, he said, I'm establishing this organization, Daisy International, and you need to come on board because of your legal training. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. But Erin, can I tell you, the more I researched and the more exposure I got and the more I got into the word, thank God that my eyes opened. And I was like, but, but, but hang on. Um, first of all, I would not be a Christian If it weren't for the Jews, in the sense that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was a Jew. The Bible that we read is a Jewish book. This Jerusalem that we speak of and that we that we yearn for in terms of Christ's return is an actual physical place that continues to exist on this earth and it exists in a land called Israel. The Jewish people. Um, we have them to thank with regards to Abraham and Moses and David and all these songs that we sing. And also when you when you look at Scripture, you know, I say respectfully that the, uh, the movement of replacement theology is just a new form of spiritual deception that has taken place. You mentioned the fact that anti-Semitism has pretty much existed since the beginning of time. If you look at the book of Romans... Paul actually says, and I believe that he was talking to us as Gentiles and saying, what has God forsaken Israel? And he expressly says, absolutely not. He talks about how we have been grafted into the vine. They are the root. We have them to thank. When he speaks about the fact that he is not ashamed of the gospel of of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, he says, "Unto the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. So from a Christian perspective, I'm grateful to the Jews. Um, From an African perspective, Aaron, the more research that I did, when I looked at who was a friend of African states, when Africa was being liberated from colonialism in the 1950s and 1960s. There was a small country, and again, this is factual, The people are too lazy with respect to do their research and their homework, which is why we need to speak up. There was a country that helped African nations, many African nations, building their infrastructure, building their health systems, building their roads, building their schools, their security. And that country was Israel. Israel had the most number of embassies on the African continent prior to 1970. Um, than any other nation in the world other than the United States of America. But then pressure built up because of the Arab nations and the Arab League. And that is then when many African nations cut their ties. But Israel has been a friend to Africa and a friend, not wanting anything in return in terms of wanting the detriment of African nations, but wanting to see Africa improve. So as an African, I am, you know, we have to stand and speak up for Israel. And then lastly, as a South African, as I mentioned with regards to um, people not misappropriating our, our history.
0: Thank you so much for being with us today in Israel and you, Olga. And if you'd like information about Olga's ministry, You can go to her website, uh, olganw.com. That's O-L-G-A-N-W dot com. And if you'd like to receive this book, The Casualty of Contempt, you can go to israelteam.org. And for a donation this month, we will send you this book as soon as it comes out.